Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Today is Larry Jones, president and CEO of Potagold Coffee Service. Potagold was founded in 1986 in Seattle and installs and services commercial brewing equipment in offices throughout the Puget Sound area. Welcome, Larry. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you on the show today, and I think all of us that go into an office every day are thinking about that uh, first uh, cup of coffee and, and everything, and uh, so obviously you've, you've built uh, quite a business there. Tell us a little bit about exactly what Potagold does, uh, how big you guys are, how many employees, that kind of thing. Uh, sure. We install uh, commercial coffee brewing equipment in offices throughout the Pacific Northwest, and um Currently have 25 employees. We'll be pushing uh, $8 million this year in revenue. And um, a lot of exciting things going on here in Seattle. There's uh, more cranes up in the air right now than anywhere in the world. And uh, that's a really good thing for us. Um, people are very interested in uh, coffee here in Seattle, as you've heard. And uh, we're also um, supply anything in the break room, uh, including snacks and uh flavored and carbonated water and all sorts of uh, healthy and green alternatives for uh, different break room supplies. It's um, it's quite the fun business that we're in right now. Yeah. When uh, when you think about, obviously, the Seattle area and the big boys there and um, Starbucks, Seattle's Best and others, uh, do they compete in your market well on the commercial side? Actually, they're partners with us. Uh, Starbucks is one of our biggest partners, uh, which is a great thing. Uh, we get tons of leads from them and a lot of help. Um, so, uh, no, we're actually uh, aligned with them as far as a partnership goes, along with all the micro roasters. There's tons of them here in Seattle. Yeah. And um, is this decision to serve the Pacific Northwest exclusively uh, something that you've, you've decided is long term or uh, do you expect to expand outside of that area? Well, we've thought about going into Portland a lot. Uh, it's just that, um, you know, it's three hours away and um, the biggest part of our service is service and um, responding to the, when the machines break down and things like that. So um, there's just so much going on in our backyard that uh, I, I, I do not see relocating or, or expanding rather. Um, we've just got a lot going on here in Seattle and we're, we're comfortable uh, with the growth curve that we've been experiencing and, and dealing with right now. Yeah. Well, let's go back a little bit to how the business got started. I know uh, that this company was really a spinoff of a company that your dad and your your brother started really in the vending machine business. So take us way back and how this all got started. Sure. Um, my older brother, he was in his early 20s and searching for a direction in life. And he was, you know, mopping up uh, next to a vending machine. He had a job as a janitor and struck up a conversation with a vending machine repairman and um with within a short period of time uh my dad and my brother bought a vending machine route and uh soon later uh, most of the machines were back in my dad's basement uh they didn't make a very good um decision as far as business goes and um they needed some help and i i helped them 
uh, go out and replace the, the vending machines um, by way of going out in the field and talking to decision makers in different offices. And um, that's when I got the idea to start an office coffee service. I saw a, um, a coffee machine with the vendor's name on it, and um, that gave me the idea to, to get into the office coffee service. So how, how old were you back then? 17. 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, how did you decide to jump in? Were you in school at the time or how did you actually go out and start this business? I was in school at the time and I didn't drive. So my sales calls were all on foot, believe it or not. And um, I used to carry a coffee machine in a bag and go out to my sales calls Um Felt like a micro, uh, you know, a bug under a microscope crossing the intersections in Bellevue at that time. Nobody walked, and uh, yeah, that's how I, I got started. Was um, just door to door and making phone calls, cold calling, things like that, and um, working alongside my the vending machine company, uh, selling office coffee at the same time. Now, was your family still involved at this point, or were you just doing this on your own? No, they were definitely involved. I, uh, at the same time, I, or soon thereafter, I decided to go fishing in Alaska, crab fishing. And, uh, I took off to do that. And I was fishing at the beginning, nine months out of the year. And I would come back and start to sell for the vending and coffee service. And my older brother kept my few coffee accounts, uh, together while I was gone. Most of them, uh, they had the vending, uh, machines in there as well. And, um, so, um, I would sell once I got back from fishing. I would start to sell coffee at the same time. I, I crab fish from eighty to ninety-two. Now wait a second. Is is that like a TV show? Yep, exactly. The deadliest catch. That's what I did for sure. And you're just up on the dangerous boat and and uh, throwing out those uh, big nets and everything and catching those fish. Uh, we were actually throwing out uh, a grappling hook and bringing in the bags and then running them through the the. Um, the hauler and bringing up crab pots. I fished from, uh, like I said, 1980 to 1992, 12 years. And I fished on 16 different boats. And in the meantime, when I would come back to Seattle, I would get back in, in involved with selling the vending machines and the coffee service. How'd you get involved in crab fishing? Well, actually, Seattle is a port of, uh, of Alaska. All the big boats come down here to get service during the summer and I had a friend of mine uh, in high school that uh, his dad was involved in the fishing industry. You really got to know somebody to get involved in that. And um, he ended up getting me a job. And uh, we actually crossed paths in the Dutch Harbor Airport. He was going home while I was going up for my very first trip. And so the seven people on board the boat, I didn't know. And um, uh, that's how I got my start. I fished uh, up there by myself. And... Um, Back then, it was the heyday. It was 1980. That was it was kind of like the the gold rush. You know, the sky was the limit as far as how much money you could make. It's very exciting. And um, I was the new guy on the boat, the Greenhorn. So the guys totally took advantage of that. And <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was crazy. And the things I saw up there during my years was um, amazing. It's just um, it's it's everything like you see on that show, but they don't take it to the full limit. You know. Um, they don't show the real casualties that can happen when you're on those kind of on the on the boats and doing that kind of work. Yeah, did you ever get injured doing it? Um, I broke my little finger, but you know, I uh, I've definitely spent time looking for um, 
people lost at sea. And uh, one of my really good friends that, that fished up there went down with his boat and crew and they never found anybody I had to speak at his funeral. Uh. It was very, very sad. Um, but I, yeah, I saw crazy things. I ended up, I started out single pot fishing in Dutch Harbor. And then um, over the years, I, I started to, I got into long lining out West, out in ADAC, which is crossing our national date line and uh everything is bigger out there um we would go into town to a small uh establishment called Etu to get water and um you know i would see things that uh just confirm that you're you're really a product of your environment i mean there were kids that uh were sitting in this little general store you know slash uh you know post office um police station playing a little atari game and you know it just struck you it, these kids are never going to get off this island. They're never going to have the chances that I had or were available to me, you know, when I got in the skiff and went back out to the boat and then ultimately went back to Seattle and, you know, dealt with reality. It was, it's very sad. Oh man. Well, how did you make that transition or decide to get out of that as a career and, uh, go back to where you had a few coffee accounts and find a way to turn that into a real business? Well, that's the thing is, is that I, I never wanted to be a fisherman and, uh, I did it just as a means to another means. Uh, I, I did it just just to make money. In fact, uh, I brought on a partner uh, that I fished alongside with that had an amazing reputation. He still does. He still fishes. He owns six or eight boats, and he's doing very well for himself. Um, he stuck it out. Uh, I, I always just wanted to, to get away from it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's an amazing industry, you know. Um, you're self-employed. You have to save your own tax money. Uh, a lot of crazy people up there that, you know, necessarily don't really want having your back when you're out there doing that dangerous stuff. And, uh, you know, around Christmas time, um, they would spend all their money and come April, they wouldn't have it. And you become a tax evader. Uh, so you've got somebody looking over your shoulder the whole time. It's kind of my opposite mindset. I saved all my money. I sent it all home. I just wanted to get out of there as soon as I could. It took me 12 years, but uh, uh, that was the seed capital that helped to fund my little coffee service. And um, that was always my ambition, just a, a means to another means. I never really wanted to fish. I have I had great memories. I still do. I dreamt about it last night. I dream about it every night, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just uh, a, a means to another means. It was part of the, you know, part of my life's history. I, I cherish it, but, uh, I wouldn't really wish it on anybody else for sure. Yeah. But a lot of lessons learned, I'm sure along the way. And, and, uh, uh, I know reading about you that, um, your growth as a leader really started very early on and, and you were one of 10 kids and, uh, kind of looked at as the black sheep in the family. Tell, tell me about that. What was it like growing up? <laughs> uh, I had a great growing up. Uh, I, as you said, I'm, um, one of 10, a uh, Catholic family. I was born in 1961. Um, I was very spirited. Uh, my parents had a hard time keeping track of me. Um, my older brothers, uh, had some friends that were definitely troublesome and I kind of followed in their footsteps and my parents, um, needed to take some corrective measures. So early on, I was sent to a boarding school. I was 10, uh, fourth grade. Uh, it was up in Canada. So I flew back and forth. They actually took me up there to visit it before I was committed per se. And uh, I didn't know why I was going there. And I met with the headmaster and, and, uh, at the end of the meeting, they asked me if I wanted to go there. I said, hell no. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately they, they sent me there and, um, 
it was very regimented. Corporal punishment was huge back then. This is the early mid sixties, late sixties. Uh, it was all boys school and, um, it's still around today. And then I came home for fifth grade and apparently didn't cut it. So they sent me to a military academy in sixth grade. It was, uh, ran by some Catholic nuns closer to home out of Spanaway. My dad, uh, was a banker. We moved around. I was born in Seattle, moved to Tacoma, moved to Chehalis, did some interesting things down there, caught chickens as an example. Um, <laughs> My parents tried to keep me always active during the summers. I went to some pretty intense camps that I, I wasn't actually old enough to to go to, but they they figured out a way to get me in. And uh, yeah, the military academy was interesting. You know, we got up at five in the morning and uh, went out and did the Queen's salute with the fake you know wooden guns and things and raised the flag. And um, I was really into. Uh, riflery. Uh, I was a really good uh, shot with the gun. And uh, yeah, I think that those types of things or those things definitely molded me uh, to be the individual that I became. I was I had to embrace independence very early on. And um, it was, you know, I, I don't feel bad at all about uh, the way my parents raised me. Some people think it was um, you know, harsh. Uh, I don't, I, it, it crafted me into the person I am today. Um, I've, you know, knew that I had to fend for myself early on and, um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how I became the person I am right now. Yeah. Um, can you think of a, a time when maybe you learned something from an unexpected source or in an unexpected place? Yeah. Um, I learned that um, it's it's important, you know, not to put your trust 100 percent in someone that you don't necessarily know 100 percent. I uh, I had a relationship with a with a fisherman buddy that I I brought on as a partner in my business, and um, it turned out that uh, he I, I I touched on him a while back. He's very successful now. He owns six or seven boats and, uh, he's doing really well up there. Uh, but anyway, I found out from his attorney that he wanted out of the company and he wanted his seed capital back. And it definitely caught me off guard that, uh, someone that I felt was, you know, very close to me. Um, and I felt was as passionate about my company and my vision, uh, turned out that he wasn't and he, and he needed to use, um, a go between to talk to me about that. And, uh, yeah, it was very unexpected. So what led to that? I mean, were things, was that just a complete surprise to you or did you not have as close of a relationship? You said, you know, not, uh, you've learned not to trust as easily, but did he break your trust in some way? Yes, he was my, um, our source of capital for growth. And, um, when we made our pact in Alaska that I was going to start to stay home and not go back for the fishing trips. And he was going to stay up there and, and make money for us. Um, he, uh, you know, decided that, that he wanted out. And, um, so that completely caught me off guard. Now I was home and, you know, I had a job, but I, I didn't have a, you know, we weren't profitable by any means back then. And so he left me stranded essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, but again, 
contributed, I'm, I'm sure, to your uh, your independence kicked in and enabled you to continue to to grow. Um, any other maybe significant emotional event that shaped your leadership approach early on? Yeah, I had a. Um, in addition to my older brother uh, helping to hold down the fort, uh, I brought my younger sister and my uh, younger brother in to help um, run the company while I was gone. And um, my younger brother uh, had a, a different way of doing things and a different vision than I had. So I uh, ultimately had to let him go. And in doing so, um, you know, let go another pillar of support, uh, operationally at least, uh, for the business. Uh, so that, that was really tough and, uh, made me really have to rebound as far as making decisions on how much longer I could stay up in Alaska to try to make com- money for the company. Um, so yeah, that was a big deal as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I started my original business with my my two brothers as well, um, and uh, it's great to work with family, but it's 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 hard too, especially when you have to make uh, tough decisions like that. Um, how, you know, I uh, it's interesting now that uh, you've been around for a long time and and you've had a lot of growth, and you guys are um, nominated to make the Forbes list of. Uh, best small giant companies in the country. So you're obviously doing a lot of great work now. Uh, can you describe a little bit about the the uniqueness of the business, the culture that you built, and what makes uh, Pot of Gold so special? Yeah, for sure. Um, probably. Uh, well, you know, we're selling coffee in Seattle, which is pretty cool, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a, a booming market right now, economy and otherwise. Um, I, uh, we're just all about trying to really, uh, have a, uh, a great nurturing environment where we really take care of our employees. Um, we've, we see what's going on out there in the marketplace, you know, working with companies like Google and, and things like that and how, you know, people are really always striving to take care of employees and, and keep them from moving on and, um, you know, having the best environment. And, and that's what we really work hard at doing. I am um, easy to get to know a CEO. I, I work alongside my team all the time. I, I wear jeans at work. I go out in the field. I deliver coffee and install coffee machines and do plumbing. And um, we have a real uh, open door policy as far as uh, people approaching management. And um, we offer a benefit package that's unrivaled in our industry. Uh, we offer, uh, all food and, um, you know, break room supplies. People don't have to leave to go out to lunch. Uh, we really, um, have a, a family like environment at pot of gold. That's great. And I bet all the coffee they can drink, right? <laughs> yeah. We, we let them take it home too. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Um, so as you, jump to to build this uh once you got your feet under you and you built this business which is now eight million in revenue and growing um think about a humbling experience you've had in leadership yeah well um we got our first start um with a company named caravalli which um was uh the wholesale division of starbucks and when the divestiture took place back in 86 where Howard Schultz's team came in and bought the retail division. Another group came in and bought the wholesale division, which was Caravalli. And um, the leader of that group was a really cool guy. And um, they were in competition with Starbucks. 
there was a lock on the Starbucks coffee in the office market. There was only one player that could that could sell, uh, purchase and sell that. And so it was really tough to compete against them back then. And um, the head of Caravalli to try to give us a, a you know a leg up uh, told us that we could have their coffee for free for 12 months. And we were obviously all over that. And the head roaster of Starbucks uh, stayed with the wholesale division. So we had a, a good story to tell. And I was the only salesman back then. And um, would go out there and my, the main coffee that we sold was, was Caravalli. Anyway, uh, after the year was up, they came to visit with us. And, um, the purpose of their visit was to try to gain equity in pot of gold. They wanted more control over my company. And so they came, uh, to us to, to cash in. They either want us to write them a check for that year's worth of coffee or they wanted some equity. And I still had that relationship going on at that time with my fisherman buddy that I, I talked about earlier that yeah. decided to go a different direction. And, um, yeah, I had a check in hand, so I was able to keep them at bay. And, uh, but knowing the alternative, which I knew I got some back end information, uh, it was, it was, it was definitely humbling. Yeah. Now, uh, who's involved in the family? Isn't your son's involved in the business now? Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Very proud of him. He's twenty three. He's what hooked me up with you on Skype today. He, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. He uh, graduated from U of O a couple years ago. Uh, he's a duck, and um, he's in sales and marketing, and he handles our our social media platform. Uh, my younger sister Lori is um, a, a huge reason why I'm here talking to you today. She's been with me for. 25 years at the beginning, um, she was afraid to answer the phone. And, uh, now she, she does everything. All of our purchasing, our finance, she's our office manager. If, uh, she's ever invited into a meeting with one of our employees in the conference room, they're very on edge, not knowing what's going to happen. She's, um, she's incredible here. Her name is Lori and my son is Blake. Oh, that's great. It's great to be working with your family like that. And I'm sure you're a proud dad to have him, uh, have Blake alongside you there. Um, uh, as you've built the business, grown your employee base, uh, if you think back, uh, even if it's something that's happened recently, what's the probably the hardest decisions you had to make in the workplace? Uh, well, as I mentioned before, letting my brother uh, go was a, was a big deal. And um, yeah, I have a really hard time firing people. But uh, when it comes down to it and, uh, you know, the line is drawn in the sand, uh, I have to be the heavy, um, and um, it's a position that I, I don't cherish uh, when it's when it's the tough decisions to make, letting people go. But um, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, those are always the toughest things to do. Has that has that had you look not just on the family side, but just overall at your recruiting to say, you know, if you look in the mirror and said, "All right, well, uh, that I didn't enjoy making that tough decision. What could we have done differently, if anything?" In, um, in terms of how we hire uh, and select people for the company, have you adjusted that at all along the way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I hire a lot of people, and I have hired a lot of people without checking references. And I look back on it now; um, that might not be the smartest thing. I get a real—I I, I go off of a vibe, uh, you know, how I connect with somebody, and I do try to. You know, lay everything out as far as what my expectations are, which is, you know, um, showing up every day and, and being honest and uh, having integrity and, um, 
you know, doing the best that you can for the company. Uh, you, you just don't know um, sometimes uh, what somebody is is really all about, you know, uh, in this day and age. But um, uh, yeah, we um, we have a really great group of people that work for us now. I have a 20, 25 employees, and the nepotism thing has gone out the window, as you've heard. You know, my my younger sister is my partner; she's yeah. an equity owner, and uh, her bro- her her husband is my brother in law. Um, he's training Blake. He's in sales and marketing. Um, there's several of my employees that we brought on their best friends. Um, and it's really helped us. Uh, they, uh, we have a real strong network of people now and, um, they come to work every day and they come with a smile and they, uh, they work real hard and they know we're always looking out for them, uh, as far as, um, uh, taking care of them. It's, it's a, it's a two way street. And, um, yeah, the hiring of people, uh, we do that, uh, through zip recruiter. Now it's a huge, um, you know, employer based, uh, marketing tool to find people. We can look through all their resumes and, um, not contact them until we feel that they're a a valid candidate. And we bring everyone on, on that, uh, week long working interview. Now, uh, we've been doing that for like the last five years where, you know, over the first week, if it's not a good fit, uh, you know, they can move on or, or we can send them on their way and no hard feelings. And that's, uh, Introducing that that concept has definitely um, really, I think, helped to strengthen people, uh, new candidates, as far as uh, having an open mind and learning the job and not uh, feeling like they're, um, you know, uh, letting us down if they feel they need to leave. It's it's usually the other way around. Um, in the first couple of days, we feel that we don't have the right fit. But um, yeah, that week long working interview is is what we we've embraced, and it's it's worked really well for us for the last five or six years. That's a great tool uh, that kind of goes both ways, and either side can get out if they want to, and uh, you kind of go into it with uh, open eyes about um, the possibilities. As you guys uh, even go through the interviewing process, how do you kind of? divide and conquer so that you know you're getting the right combination combination of skill and fit or how do you screen for fit well um asking the basic questions you know there's several different um jobs that we offer at pot of gold and uh you know one of them is the infield customer service representative where they go out and interact with our customers and they have to drive our vans. They do drive our vans. And, uh, then we have people that work in the back, uh, pulling orders and things like that, cleaning coffee pots. And we have people working in the office. So it depends on, uh, you know, what we're hiring for obviously out in the field, they need to have a good driving record and be really personable. Uh, in this day and age, uh, we really can't discriminate obviously with, you know, tattoos or haircuts or, piercings and things like that. I mean, it's Seattle, uh, but, um, they definitely have to be really personable and have a good driving record, uh, in the, in the back. Um, it's, it's really what we really preach is, you know, half a life is just showing up, you know, showing up every day and having a good attitude and, um, embracing the job and putting your heart into it, uh, can definitely get you a, a long way in our company for sure. Yeah. And as you look a little further down the road, you know, five, ten years down the road, or even kind of long term, as people have talked about exit strategies and and all of that, um, how do you think about that? Is this a, a company uh, Blake will run someday, or uh, is, do you have a different plan? 
And that's the idea, a combination of Blake and my sister's young. You know, she's in her, her mid-40s. Uh, she'll be around for, you know, a couple more decades in terms of running the company. And she uh, she has – she's doing a great job. Um, I just kind of show up each day and assist. Uh, but uh, Blake is, um, as I mentioned, he's in his early 20s and um, – He's going to take this company to the next couple of levels. Uh, that That's the idea anyway. Um, we're going to hold on to it. I get approached every day. I'm supposed to go out with a national player tomorrow for lunch, uh, and I probably will just to kind of entertain what's going on with everybody else in the industry here locally. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're set to have Blake take this thing over, and I'll be hanging around for quite a few more years in, in terms of um, being able to help and assist. But uh, – Pot of gold is going to stay in the family. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and uh, I think you've kind of answered this earlier um, about the, you know, how you spend your time and how you spend your day. But uh, as you've grown, um, how do you remain accessible and authentic to those that work around you? Well, I, um, you know, everything's uh, everybody's on email and cell phones now, and um, so I'm copied on all the emails as far as service calls and things of that nature, um, which is a beautiful thing. And uh, I go in every day, and I have really close relationships with everybody that that that's employed at Pot of Gold, and uh, they 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 know and feel that. Um, I go in a lot of times on weekends uh, to do special projects with a few of them, mostly the people in the warehouse, and. Uh, we have a, a, a great time doing that. Normally, incorporate uh, a brunch in the deal, and um, they know that uh, I, I am, you know, very approachable, and we have, um, you know, an open door policy, and uh, there, there really is no drama in my company. Um, knock on wood. Uh, everybody, um, you know, is, is very happy with their with their jobs and, um, and how we take care of them. I've, I've got some people that have worked for me for 25 years. I've got a guy that, uh, we both, uh, went to the same high school and graduated the same year. Um, that's been there for, you know, what then, you know, 30 years. So, um, it's, uh, I, I, I'm in the trenches with them every day and I, I'm, I'm there to do what they do and support them. And, um, Again, everybody's on email, so when those service calls come out and it looks like somebody's stretched thin, you know, I'm always jumping in saying I can I can handle this, and uh, I think um, I've I I know I've gained a lot of respect for them for that. I don't I don't have to go into work today, Peter, but I I will, and they um, they really appreciate that. Know that I'm, I'm there to support them. Yeah, you're setting a great example. Um, now, as you look at all these lessons you've learned uh, over the years, even going back to your childhood, what would you say is the most important quality of a leader? Just to be a team player, to not, uh, you know, be prepared to do something that you're asking somebody else to do. Um, I, I picked that up a long, you know, long time ago that, uh, you know, you need to be prepared to get your hands as dirty as, as what you're asking somebody else to do. And that's how you gain respect is, um, being uh, completely transparent and, and willing to, to do anything that you're asking somebody else to do and work right alongside your, your, your teammates. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I always, um, love to hear about companies because uh, all of our companies could be looked at as commodities or at some point where we commoditize what we do and and selling uh, equipment to service uh, coffee in an office may not be looked at as the sexiest thing in the world, but it is to you guys and it is to your customers. As you guys are out there selling uh, pot of gold services, 
how do, do do you differentiate yourselves? How do they, why will they buy from you as opposed to the competitor? So we're family owned and operated. Um, we uh, pioneered specialty coffee into the offices back in the mid 80s. Uh, and embraced all the problems that came from that. Um, you know, this isn't Mrs. Olson's or U Band. We don't even carry those kind of coffees or promote that. Uh, these are coffees that uh, are very high end and full city roasted, meaning that they're roasted a lot longer than um, you know national brand coffees. And um, we we uh, have embraced the brewing designs to protect that that coffee. Uh, so originally it was thermal brewers and. These days, it's uh, bean to cup is the majority of the uh, machines that we have out there right now. So when the customer uh, walks up to get their cup of coffee, uh, it's it's an on-demand brewing system. So there's nothing there already prepared. They have to push the button and, and the coffee grinds, uh, the beans grind and delivers the product down into their cup. Um, and we work with... Uh, the majority of the micro roasters in Seattle. So we, we offer 30 different micro roasted coffees and, you know, most of the roasters have six or eight blends that they are uh, making available to us. The, the national players that we compete against, um, they won't necessarily just bring on a new coffee uh, to, to acquire a new customer or to or deal with a customer's new request. Um, they, their, their parameters are much tighter than, than ours. We'll, uh, We'll we'll work with a, a firm of you know ten people and up where one of our competitors won't talk to somebody unless they have fifty employees and up and um, we'll bring on a stump town or a cafe appassionado or a middle fork coffee uh, if a customer requests it where a, a national player won't and um, uh, investing in uh, new brewing designs to protect and enhance the the coffee experience in the office is something that we've always been behind and. Uh, uh, a national competitor is just uh, just kind of dragging their feet in that regard and will only provide the type of uh, equipment they already have in stock. They won't go out and reinvest in a new brewing design like uh, an independent like Pot of Gold would. Yeah, and uh, coffee definitely is an experience nowadays. So uh, the fact that you guys were a pioneer in that area and continue to embrace that and that personal service, I know it makes a huge difference. Um, and Larry, I know there's so much more ahead for you and your family in growing this business. Uh, but if somebody was looking to you and say, and your career and what you've done and said, you know, I would like to be just like you or doing what you're doing. Uh, what would you tell them in addition to not, uh, being a crab fisherman? You know, um, I've always had this mindset that I needed it to work hard now and vacation later. Uh, I graduated with a ton of kids that, you know, they took a few years off and went traveling and um, things like that. And, and then obviously went to college. And uh, I, I would just say that you need to really just work hard now and think about vacationing later when you when when you when you've made it. Um, that's uh, that's why I'm here today talking to you. I mean, I um, I always save my money and uh, always kept my eye on the ball and um, I, 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 I didn't feel like I, I needed a break. I felt like the break would come later once I was fully established and um, you know had all my eggs in the basket type of thing. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I went straight to, you know, from college to law school, start, you know, started my business really early on. And um, there were times where I looked back and, and thought, um, God, I should have taken a year to do this or to do that. 
but just powering through it, I think just made, made the difference. And, and, uh, as I'm sure you would, uh, agree all those years where, um, you're just busting your hump, you know, day in and day, day out, whether it's servicing coffee customers or crap, whatever you're doing, you're not, you're not so much complaining about it. You're just doing it. Um, and, and, uh, the joy really comes later on where you can look back and see what you've accomplished. Um, so I think that's great advice is just to, you know, put your head down, work hard, power through it. And, um, all the good stuff will come, um, down the road. If you, if you do that, um, I'd love to just throw a few quick uh, questions at you, just like the association game, and maybe just kind of tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Sure. Uh, name a, a famous leader you look up to. Oh, Bill Gates lives down the road from me. Um, you know, behind him, his amazing wife, Melinda, uh, all the great things that they've done. Uh, it's just – I we, we were fortunate enough to sell coffee to the uh, – Gates Foundation for many years since their inception, actually, and um, they're great people, and I just applaud them on every level. Um, obviously, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama—they're amazing. Uh, Jeff Bezos, all the risks he's taken, and and uh, I think we all remember when he was on the brink of, you know, when the the dot com disaster, and no one figured he was going to pull it out, and look where he's at today. Um, I'm very impressed with that guy. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my three, the Gates yeah. is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, that's an impressive group for sure. And, uh, you know, a couple right in your backyard. What about, yeah. a, uh, what about a book that influenced your leadership style? I, uh, I pulled a couple of these off my shelf in my office the other day. Uh, you know, the seven habits of being highly effective, uh, by Stephen Covey and, um, I've always been amazed by Anthony Robbins that Awaken My Giant is uh, something that's on my shelf back at the office as well. Yeah, his Netflix special is amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't been that familiar with his work. I heard of him a lot, and God, I was blown away by that. So, yeah, those are two really good ones. How about your all-time favorite movie? A uh, Few Good Men is a standout for me. I, I love that uh, that show. I've, I've watched it many times. Um, it's very cool. That's a great one. Um and uh, let's say you're stranded on an island and you get to bring one thing with you. What would it be? Uh, probably my service dog, Tanner, that has a fake service dog vest that I take to work every day. No, my amazing wife would be the number <laughs> one thing I would take. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's the mm -hmm. right answer. Thanks. Um, and uh, lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? I'm very emotional, uh, especially when sad, sad things. Um, so my kids and my wife uh, have witnessed me, you know, tearing up during sad movies many times. So it'd probably be that I try to put out a real strong um, impression. Uh, always, you know, when I'm out with uh, uh, in the trenches with my guys and things. But uh, when I sit down uh, for a movie with uh, my family, um, I can get emotional at times for sure. Well, that's great. Um, uh, I really applaud what you've done, Larry, over these years and just such hard work and uh, and being able to build a family business like this, um, a generational business that uh, hopefully Blake will take over one day has got to give you great pride. And um, I want to run through just a couple things that I learned um, when listening to you today. And, um, and a lot of it had to do with just the impact of your childhood, the fact that you said you were a very spirited kid. Uh, your 
parents took a, a very disciplined approach to raising you, sent you off to boarding school, to military school. And, and rather than um, uh, pushing back, I think you absorbed much of what was good about those experiences and created a lot of independence and, and stick stick to um, in, in you and your personality. Um, and you realized that, uh, even, uh, whatever business you're in, we're in the relationship business and you you had an early partner who you trusted turned out not to be maybe the, the right partner for you. Um, and so made you realize that there were certain questions that you needed to ask of people, um, and get to know them and realize that, um, not everybody's what they say they are and whether it's a partner or whether it's an employee doing all that work as best you can to see that the people that you're working with are the right people, even leading up to the, the week long interview that you have right now, that's resulted in such a strong workforce, uh, for you. Um, I think that what has kept you so humble is this idea that you're really no different than any of the other, the 25 people, uh, or what's going to be 50 or a hundred, um, in the future as you grow that, uh, you get in the trenches with everybody, you work alongside them, you come in on the weekends and do projects and, and you sometimes probably don't realize how much that really means to people to know that, uh, you're no different than they are and you're willing to do all the same amount of work. Um, you say that you're a, it's a no drama environment. Um, I'd hesitate to say that that will last forever. Uh, as you know, those kinds of things come and go, but the question is how we deal with it. And, and the fact that, uh, I think you've, the family atmosphere and the atmosphere of, tr- of trust you've developed enables you to get through those kinds of, uh, uh, periods and um, just simple things that uh, early on you took a, that conservative approach. You 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 didn't just uh, spend all your the crabbing money, you know, and and end up having to be chased for uh, taxes. You saved your money. You put your money away. You worked hard, and you figure, you know, if I work hard now, it's going to pay off later. Whether it's in vacation or raising a beautiful family, enjoying life, there's plenty of time for that. And I think for young people today, uh, that's a really a very important message just to to uh, to realize it's it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be given to you if you have a good set of core values. You keep your head down. You work hard. Then uh, good things will happen for you. So um, great story. Continued success, Larry. Thank you very much for being on our show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing with Purpose podcast. Until next time. Mm-hmm.